Hello, friends. Welcome to the Nexus Podcast. I'm your host, James Dice. Each week, I fire questions at the leaders of the smart buildings industry to try to figure out where we're headed and how we can get there faster without all the marketing fluff. I'm pushing my learning to the limit, and I'm so glad to have you here following along. Episode 63 is a conversation with Ryan Morris, chairman and CEO of Turntide Technologies, and another special guest, Marty Ogren, director of sales automation at Turntide and former co-founder of Riptide. We talked about Turntide's efficient software-defined motor technology. Then we took a bit of a deep dive into Turntide's recent acquisition of Riptide, why they did it, how it complements the motor offering, and where the combined company is headed with their new software platform. And did I continue my streak of two truths and a lie success? Listen to the end if you want to find out. Without further ado, please enjoy Nexus Podcast episode 63. Hey, hello, Ryan. Hello, Marty. Welcome to the Nexus Podcast. Can you introduce yourselves, please, starting with Ryan? Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Morris. I'm the CEO at Turntide Technologies. All right. And I'm Marty Ogram. I am bringing up sales at Turntide now and their automation group. And I was one of the co-founders of Riptide that was acquired by Turntide just about four months ago. Awesome. For happiness. Yes, for your happiness. So what I typically do is start with background before you're at your current company. So let's start with you, Ryan, before you were CEO of, of Turntide, what what'd you do and what, what brought you into the, the smart buildings industry? So I, I got into it, well, the original spark that motivated me that now is Turntide is I actually learned about nuclear fusion when I was 11. And so there was this seed of like, we can save the world with technology okay. <laughs> that it goes, it goes way back. And so that got me really into software and physics and energy and all that kind of stuff. So it goes, goes pretty early, but career-wise, I'm, I'm a software engineer by background, operations, research, and information engineering, but I started a software company after college. And then actually I was running a company that did a really high power conversion for electric vehicle going back for 50 years. I got involved in the company and then worked to really transform it. And that's what Kind of got me really deep into the world of electric electric motors and drivetrains and kind of high power conversion, high power electronics, which my co-founder of my first software company did his PhD in that. So I, I had always deep respect for how challenging things are when you have a shoebox size thing that puts as much power as an entire apartment building through it controlled 20,000 times a second. This is not not to be trifled with. So that's what I was doing before Turntide and that got me into you know electric motor technology and switch reluctance motors and you know, eventually led me to, to really build Turntide starting a bit over four years ago now. Cool. Very exciting. So I saw on your LinkedIn that you have a some sort of keto nutrition bar company on the side. What's yeah, that that's, that's, my, that's my side hustle that with my wife, actually. So it means cute little squirrel in Russian okay. from Belarus. But I try to eat really healthy, low carb. So it's kind of like kind bars, but with no sugar and okay. Tastes a lot better. So if you eat that like during the day at work, you'll guaranteed 2x productivity. 2x. All right. That sounds quantifiable. That's awesome. All right, Marty, how about you? Before, I guess before Riptide, what were you doing and how'd you get into the industry? Sure. So I've spent my whole career in sort of the intersection of real estate and technology. And it was, I almost can't count how long ago I got involved with sort of when building equipment met the internet. And it was really about two or three years after Tritium started. 
So that really dates me in terms of the the beginning days of smart buildings. And along that way, I got involved with a startup group that was based in Santa Barbara that got me hooked into Santa Barbara. And we ended up with a technology that, well, in a very similar approach was out to integrate in building systems. And instead of making ourselves look like a building automation system, which is what Tritium did, of course, and sell the Honeywell, we decided to make ourselves look like more of a building network appliance and sold to Cisco Systems in 2009. So at Cisco, I I stayed around in that group, the Smart Connected Real Estate Group, and I ran global business development, uh, getting us going with some of Cisco's top customers across the globe. And then that journey led us to deciding to solve more on the application layer problems that we saw out in the market. And many of us that were on that journey jumped off the Cisco bus and started Riptide and really focused on the cloud-based building management side, not so much as the edge, although we of course did some edge stuff and then required by Turntide just this year. Awesome. So were you at Cisco when, when John Petsy was there? Yeah, Yeah. actually, yeah, actually it was, I was part of that committee to say, Hmm, who could we get in the industry that would really make make noise. And we said, John Petsy, let's go get him. So I actually reported to John, developed a great relationship with him. And when he decided to leave I and start SkySpark, I was like, well, okay, something's happening here. Maybe we need to think. So he he was a bit of a catalyst oh, that's uh, awesome. for, for us on the Riptide side to also think sort of beyond the Cisco walls. Got it. Got it. I know, I know John will listen to this episode, so he'll be happy to happy to hear that if he doesn't already know. Yes. Well, a big fan, you know, it it was interesting because we had in a lot of ways followed Tritium. And so then to sit at the same side of the table and learn all the inside of how things were, it was a great time. So yeah, I enjoy uh, watching John's career. Awesome. And yeah, we're going to dig into Riptide and the software side of it in a little bit. Let's, Let's talk about software motor company though, and motors real quick though, Ryan. So can you talk about the founding of the company and sort of get into why these motors are better than your, your traditional HVAC motors that you get off the shelf? Sure. Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell it from a bit from my history. So I, I first learned about switch reference motors in the context of working on electric vehicle drivetrains where in particular, you really need permanent magnets, rare earth magnets from China if you want to get uh, really good performance. And that's what basically everybody has converged around. I mean, Tesla originally was named Tesla because they use AC induction motors, but they, like everybody else, have, have gone to the rare earth magnet for the better performance. And so when I first learned about switch electrolysis motors about seven and a half years ago, you know, I, I sort of look at the world through this lens of compute or Moore's law, like how do you abstract things to their information essence? Mm-hmm. And it just seemed, you know, very quickly like, wow, here's this kind of limit function of the simplest mechanical motor that can be made. And okay, so why hasn't that become the dominant form of technology? Like you've had AC induction motors basically be the standard since 1888 when Nikola Tesla created them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's still the vast, vast majority of motors today. Like there's, there's not enough rare earth magnets in the world to replace them all with really high performance magnet motors. And so the problem was though, they hadn't been able to be controlled really efficiently in the past required too much computing power to, to kind of design the motor and to shape the current going into it. It's like trying to ride a bicycle backwards. And so this just sort of smelled like a compute problem to me. And, you know, my you know general trend that I always follow is like, 
you know, how is Moore's law going to open up more capabilities over time in different areas? It's, it's fairly, very predictable, if not the most predictable trend in human development. And so I started looking around the whole world of who's working on this technology is mostly in academia. So my spark was, okay, switch lockdowns is clearly going to have a really important role to play in the future for the world of motors and motors consume like half the electricity in the entire world. And that's only going to increase with electric vehicles to, to probably two thirds over time. And I literally scoured the entire planet of who's working on this, who has the IP in this. And there was, it's mostly people in academia. So there weren't really companies who had really cracked this at scale or in any practical commercializable way. There'd been some attempts in like nuclear reactor cooling pumps because they're super reliable because they're so simple. They're very fault tolerant. So they've been kind of very niche, you know, mining nuclear reactor pumps and stuff like that. But then there was this technology, this IP that originally spun out of university in 2007. So Piyush Desai, who's still with us as a, you know, head motor designer, um, he had this idea of basically taking the original idea around switch reluctance, which is a very old concept and kind of inverting it and, and doing the geometry kind of backwards from what would normally make sense. And it turns out this was actually the physical optimal, you know, geometry for it. And so patented that and spun out into a startup that was kind of the predecessor to, to SMC. And then in 2013, SMC had a kind of a reboot as IOT became feasible. And the idea was basically to, to pair the smart motor, which inherently has to be controlled digitally. It's like a sort of digital programmable native design with the IoT capabilities of making, so it was actually around the same time as, as Riptide got started with a you know, different angle. And so I got introduced to the team at SMC while I was working on electric vehicle drivetrain technology and uh, I guess beginning of 2017. And it was basically a research project, but it made some really big breakthroughs over the, you know, literally a decade they'd been working on this. And they had, they had cracked a lot of the key problems, especially around the software control, which is kind of the hardest part around it. So after 10 years of working, they were like, oh my God, it works finally. <laughs> and I was like, let's go. I want to go build it into a really huge company. And they're like, great, you do it and pay for it. Uh, so, <laughs> and, and so I, that's sort of how I joined. So when it was like nine people, I think at the time. And so I, I basically joined to grow it to, to be a big company. And we rebranded as Turntide a bit over a year ago to reflect that it's you know really about more than just the motor. Uh, the motor is the, the core of all these systems that consume energy. That's the thing at the sort of atomic, you know, electron level that's actually using the energy for something useful, but, but it's really about the bigger system to, you know, turn the tide on climate change is, you know, the name. Okay. Got it. That's a fascinating story about you doing all your own research and then going to find, find the, you know, the researchers out there that are holding the right patents and solving the right problems already. That's really cool. Yeah, I have a thing for really hard problems. So if somebody tells me a problem is really hard, you know, normally that like scares people away. For me, it's like, ah, it's hard for everybody. So like, let's be the only one that does it. <laughs> nice, nice. I love that. So if I'm like the, the average listener to this podcast, they're used to sort of probably walking into a building, right? Going to the mechanical room, see the motor sit on the floor, find the VFD on the wall one of those connects to the control system, right? Or the VFD typically connects to the control system, usually some other relay that turns the, you know, the pump or whatever, the fan on and off. How has how that setup changed and how you guys, you know, go to market with, with the new motors? Well, in the abstract, you still have the same 
basic pieces. So you have a box with electronics and then you have a piece of metal that is the motor. Okay. <laughs> so that part is the same. It's down inside there's, well, you know, in the abstract, when you have electronics and a piece of metal that turn into electricity into motion, you know, we're inventing things and we have over hundred patents that are, you know, really within inside the systems so they are abstracted away from, from the user. And it's all about how we control the current and like the motor, like if you if you took apart the motor, it looks totally different than the conventional motor inside. It's actually much simpler. Um, and the complexity is really in the firmware and the subtlety of, of the design, but there's kind of fewer failure modes. There's, there's just, you know, the coils are much, much simpler. The rotor is just a simple piece of steel. So like there's nothing that can really fail. So the motor itself is, is that simple, but there's a lot of complexity in the firmware, which is shaping the current 20,000 times a second going into the motor, making it output the right torque speed or, or power at the best efficiency and over a pretty wide range. So, so from a, you know, actual use case perspective, you're going to have the BMS or whatever instructing the electric machine. So the electronics and the motor, Hey, what speed do you want me to run at? What power up do you want me to run at? What torque? There's a bunch of upstream benefits that we can then take out of the motor because we need to control it so precisely we also get a bunch of data feed, feeding back to the kind of control system, which is you know where where Riptide kind of comes in for for the broader building. So you can do things like you know sensing torque, like and you know there, there's some a bunch of areas that we're just getting into. But because we uh, are effectively software defined hardware, you, you're not like trying to slap on a bunch of sensors that you know each have their own failure modes on an existing mechanical system. It's really reinvented from the ground up you know, to be a, a digital first, a software first DNA of the motor system itself. So it's, it, it's a very different architecture, but in terms of installing it, like there's, you know, same boxes sort of hook up the wires and bolts and stuff yeah. for, for a fan or a pump. Cool. So if I'm, if I'm designing a new building right now, um, why as a designer might I spec out this motor versus a different one? Biggest reason is efficiency. So you, I mean, we can get into the, the stats, but you know, against the constant speed motor that you see still very commonly, I mean, California for new building, you have to have variable speed total 24, but against constant speed, you know, we're saving like 65% on average, you know, it's probably 60% of that is from the variable speed. And then the other 40% is if you had like a top of the line AC induction motor and a VFD, you'd get an additional, you know, big, big savings because it's more efficient at every operating point. And in particular switch reluctance, it's very flat efficiency curve. So because it's digitally controlled, you're basically just pulsing in current when it makes useful torque. It's, you know, even if you're at partial load, it, it'll maintain very high efficiency versus induction motor, it'll, it'll fall off quite a lot. Yeah. So at lower, lower speeds, you're, you're not very efficient versus constant efficiency down at, at no matter what speed you're, you're flowing. Yeah. So we haven't really focused on, on new construction so much yet. We've been doing more, more retrofit. Yeah, the idea is you can go replace the existing motor and then add intelligent control. So conceptually, it's very similar to a VFD upgrade, but you know, just better, better efficiency. And then it's going to be a lot more reliable. You know, the motor will last a lot longer than a conventional motor. Very cool. Very cool. And then, like you said, it seems like there are more analytics that can be done even though, like you said, less failure points, right? Less ways for this motor to fail, but there's still more data coming off of it than your typical, you know, speed <laughs> get off of another VFD or whatever. Okay, cool. Very good. So help me then understand. So you guys as a company focusing on motors, you had your own software as well. 
why why bring in the Riptide team next? What was what, what was behind that? Yeah, so we from from the beginning, uh, well, 2013 since SMC was kind of the reboot of the, the predecessor. The idea was okay, how do we make the the thing that the motor is in really efficient and also intelligent? You know, as that IoT kind of capability set started making that feasible, and then really in earnest that kind of late 2017, we started started thinking like, hey, what does like a next generation of building management look like? You know, there's 90% of smaller buildings really don't have anything today. Like existing BMSs are, I mean, you, you've talked about some of your podcasts, you've done a great job at, you know, bringing this content forward, but, you know, they're kind of analogous to like mainframe type systems. Like they work great for big systems, but you need like a full-time, you know, control technician. And so it was, it was pretty clear that all these sort of cell phone stack IoT type things are eventually going to enable all these next generation BMS systems. So we were really, you know, on our way building that and then came across Riptide. We looked at a lot of other players in the space actually as, you know, was there a way that we could sort of team up and and accelerate the whole offering? And then Riptide in particular stood out because they had really thought about the problem philosophically really similar to us and had a lot of similarities in their sort of core technical stack and like you know it was all really modern and everything a lot of the other you know smaller companies and there were a lot of them you know going back 10 10 years that started and maybe found little little niches but you know hadn't built something that would really scale i call those engineering cul-de-sacs where it's like you know a great little neighborhood but doesn't really go anywhere Um, so riptide had really built it in a very scalable kind of platform way and so you know, it just, it was clear that having the capabilities together was kind of where we were definitely going. And, you know, we were able to, you know, meet the team and really like each other. We have a really unique culture at the company, which um, happy to hear Marty talk about it since uh, she's, you know, been exposed now. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, we were really aligned sort of philosophically on the architecture and how we thought about the market and then, and then culturally with, with the people. So it just worked, worked out pretty well. Cool. I want to hear from Marty too, but I want to first ask Marty, the, can you, can you take us back? It sounds like you, when you were at Cisco, you were familiar with Tritium. Yep. Don kind of educated you on, on Tritium and how the Niagara platform worked, right? Um, it seems like you guys took that to the next level when you started Riptide. Can you, can you talk about founding the company and kind of sure. what, what problems you guys solved early on and where the, where the progression went from there? Yeah, so I, I always think of Cisco as our silent investor because we really started the company bootstrapping off of the customers that we won as Cisco, okay. who, of course, Cisco has reached into you know, some of the biggest companies on the planet that have sizable portfolios. And we would be very successful at getting their buildings wired up, but then it would all go back to, gee, it's a Black Friday. I want to change my schedules. How am I doing this, Cisco? I have to hit, a, hit one of your mediator boxes one by one. That's not going to help me. And so we saw that there was this application layer that was sort of outside of Cisco's traditional tech stack. And about that time, Dave Leinbrock, who's our CTO, who's really the you know, uh, I'll give him all the credit for being the true technologist. He's unique in that he is a technologist at heart, computer science background, but he funded his computer science education by working as a HVAC tech oh, wow. and in the building control. So he had one leg in that business as real know-how. Anyway, about this time that we, we got this exposure to what are we going to do about when you have a customer that has 3,000 sites or 5,000 sites? I mean, that was 
the real state that wasn't hypothetical. How do you manage them? Dave at that time was working with Cisco with some of their distinguished engineers, looking at cloud computing, looking at big data. And it was clear to him that the client server stack that almost all BMS systems, including Tritium, were built on, you know, we're after a new wave here. And so he said, well, if we're going to solve the problem for the large enterprises that have lots of buildings, let's not put some server stack that handles region one, let's really do it right. And, you know, kind of rallied us because of we felt very comfortable that we had a known problem set with a customer group that had appetite and investment. So we jumped off and started and with the blueprint that Dave had in mind, we went to Cisco's top customers and said, we heard you, we're here to help you. How do you like this? And by the way, will you help fund it by uh, almost by professional services? And so we look like a professional services company for the first couple of years, okay. building on tech stack and delivering for those customers. And we, we really had a hit ratio of every single one that we went to. We went to the top three and they all said, yes, we're in. And so it was it's how we got the company started. So we're a little different than some of the other sort of startups that were tackling the small and medium building product because we started our day one requirement was a customer who had 3,000 sites. Yeah, yeah. So, Everything that Dave Limebrock, and by the way, we were also very fortunate. We grabbed some of the prime Cisco engineers that we had that like to solve new problems. And they, they jumped on board with us. And that team starting the tech stack they built really started that middle layer at the IoT cloud, almost looking at the, those days as an application enablement platform. Hmm. And then we struggled. We said, okay, what are we going to do with the edge? Like, We've solved this with a Cisco mediator. Tritium has solved this. This is really a solved problem. Do we want to be solving solved problems or we want to do new? And we debated that quite a bit, but we came to the conclusion that we really needed to solve the edge for the cloud and optimize for the cloud. Okay. And of course, if you've done something a couple of times and hopefully it's a lot, you do it a lot faster. So we dual tracked sort of our own edge with everything that we had learned from our mediator days with optimizing for the cloud, then we, and we built on our own um, IoT cloud platform. And in those days, we didn't have, there was no IoT Azure stack, you know? So there was a lot of stuff that we were doing that now maybe show up in, and yeah. maybe if you're with Google Cloud or, or Microsoft. After those iterations, and we started breaking down more on the application layer, and building both a web app and a mobile app. And again, we designed it day one for what do you do when you have thousands of sites okay. and it's across a region with all kinds of stakeholders. So that was the genesis of, of how we got started. And it was really much off of leveraging all that learnings and valuable customer of the, from Cisco. Absolutely. You're hinting at the answer to this question, but I just wanted to let you like answer it directly for people that don't understand. How is what you built different than the, the legacy style architecture of, of a BMS? Yeah, it's, it is definitely a, a computing story in the sense of as all computing waves, you know, Ryan mentioned mainframe and then moving to the client server. And we, we are obviously in not only a cloud, but a mobile era. And the a traditional, you know, our big five BMS that are built around the client server for the obvious reasons of the era that they were designed. I would say it's a bit surprising to me that they haven't moved faster onto the cloud, that it does seem, you know, I always say that us in the BMS industry, we, 
We seem to cycle 10 years behind the, the true IT tech space, and it does feel like that, but our originating differentiation was truly all the cloud advantages. So long-term storage of data, solving the security problem and making easy access. And then of course, enabling a mobile environment. That's really where I would say, you know, in frankness, our differentiation was really leaning on the advantages of cloud. Yeah, anyone that's ever logged onto a BMS remotely and they like get a phone call two minutes later, like, hey, you kicked me off. Like they, they, they understand that you don't have multi-tenancy with, with legacy systems. You don't have long-term data storage. When you change the schedule, you have to go to that controller locally, either log into it remotely or go there physically to change the schedule. That schedule doesn't apply globally because it doesn't know what the, you know, the other sites are doing. So it, it, it's definitely resonating with me as I'm hearing it from you for sure. Yeah, and when we were at Cisco, you know, our, our core routers and switch team, if they had a router and switch in one of the customers at more than five years, I mean, these, the sales teams fired, right? Is yeah. you, you have a very short tech <laughs> cycle of, of swapping out. And in the BAS industry, you know, we'll, we'll, I was with a customer in LA that had a KMC system that was put in 15 years ago and, you know, it's still running. So maybe with some band-aids, but it, that's part of the reality, which is why, as you well know, across the market, even companies that have invested in building automation are not at an optimal state. And that is, you know, a, a sad state of it, of the industry. So I really like the buildings without BMS, but I'll, there's a lot of pain in the buildings that have BMS. So yeah, definitely. Well, you're right there. But the, the bottom line, it is, it is first and foremost, sort of that the general tech innovation wave that we followed on. Totally. Hey guys, just another quick note from our sponsor, Nexus Labs, and then we'll get back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Nexus Foundations, our introductory course on the smart buildings industry. If you're new to the industry, this course is for you. If you're an industry vet, but want to understand how technology is changing things, this course is also for you. The alumni are raving about the content, which they say pulls it all together. And they also loved getting to meet the other students on the weekly Zoom calls and in the private chat room. You can find out more about the course at courses.nexuslabs.online. All right, back to the interview. So, okay, so Ryan, how does this then, when you acquired Riptide, how does coupling that, I'm picturing like a energy efficiency upgrade where you go in, you do all the motors, right? Swap out the motors, you have energy savings that are produced. It seems like a really beneficial thing to then also come in and the same project and say, well, let's do the BMS at the same time. Is that kind of part of the thinking? Yeah, basically. I mean, you get a, there's a certain threshold of materiality, you know, energy savings. One of the issues with energy savings, energy efficiency is that while it may be civilization's largest collective problem for any individual business, it's like their, you know, 12th biggest problem. Yeah. Because you've all got your, you know, your revenue and cost of goods sold are probably the biggest line item or your headcount or something. Yeah. So it's something that I think everybody wants to do better, but they only have a certain amount of, you know, management executive bandwidth to focus on. And so you really need to, I, I think, be able to bundle a, a material enough value together as an offering. And so the nice thing we have with motors is that, you know, motors typically consume even two or three times more than all the lighting. And so, you know, LED lighting paved the way for all those sort of 
hardware energy efficiency upgrades is just like physically useless energy to do the same thing. So basically the same principle with the motors, like it still moves as much air as before, but it's using a lot less uh, input electrons to do that. And so the idea is, okay, these buildings either have a really poor BMS or usually just don't have any BMS. And so clearly there's an opportunity to go incrementally add even more value if you can go make the whole, the whole building intelligent versus just the, the individual HVAC units. So, so that was, that was kind of the thesis of building out this whole offering that, you know, we continue to, to develop, like we're not all the way finished with that yet, but you know, this is a big step for, for that, for people. Totally. Well, I'm not sure which, which one of you to ask about this, but you guys are now going to come out with the Turntide software platform, right? Uh, and I'm assuming it's, you know, Riptide advanced <laughs> building on Riptide, right? And so can you talk about like what that's going to look like and, and where that's, you know, where you guys are headed on the software application side of things? So certainly you, you hit the first right out the gate. The key is make our smart motor system wrapped with an application better and stronger as a combined offering. And that much, we pretty much have checked the box of completing that. And you'll now see a fully branded Turntide application, which is super exciting. One of the things that, of course, with a cloud advantage, we've been amassing data assets across rooftop units for a long time. But with our I'll say sort of bootstrap, Riptide style, we've been unable to really execute on optimizing or building insights on that data assets. And since the acquisition, the talent that Turntide has brought in on the product team around insights and automation and has an entire product group called Insights and Automation and firing up data scientists now to leverage the data assets. And then of course, you know, bringing the motor into the story, I think is the part that I'm most excited about on what you're gonna see coming out of uh, Turntide. So there will be a strong focus towards going to that next layer. I think we are doing a great job on the monitoring management and control side. So what can we do now on bringing insights that really drive improved serviceability, all the wish lists that we have and we talk about, I'm sure on many of your podcasts as well. I, I think that's probably the best. We're doing some, We're doing some nice incremental improvements on adding in uh, more systems, adding better alerts in, well, adding in alerts around the motor system, but it's really the insight and automation I think is going to be the most exciting part. Very cool. So things like FDD and analytics. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's right. And we've, we've done some partnerships with godfathers that are writing, have been writing papers on FDD for about 12 years, lending with our data and lending with some of the talent that uh, Turntide has brought on. So it's, it's not us by ourselves. It's a combination of having that data. And I'll tell you, that's where I feel rather confident that we can get ahead because unfortunately, when the big players have sort of missed the cloud boat, it means they're missing the data, the, the data asset boat. And you know, across, even though Riptide, we still maintain being a small company. We've had you know, thousands of RTU assets under management now for many years. And there aren't a lot of the larger OEM BMS makers that have really been accumulating data assets. So you can't do a lot of insights if you don't have a lot of data. And of course, organized data and all those things that you know. So yes, it's, that's that's the part I would say I'm most excited about. I mean, what's getting me excited hearing you talk about it is the ability to tightly couple the analytical insights with the control sequences, schedules, set points, all yeah. that as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And what turn tide gives us an opportunity that was not really economically feasible is access up to the roof. And, you know, we focus mostly on sort of below the roof. And yes, we would put smart thermostats in that we're using the pre-existing wiring, but getting on the roof, having installers go up, put on sensors in the machine, directly connected machine. I mean, these get to be a little more expensive for your first cost. So, you know, enter Turntide, they're driving forward with a smart motor, bringing all the value of that efficiency. They're already up there to add a few more additive sensors. And that ECM is way different than us with our ECM and now, you know, getting a whole new team up on the roof. So I think what we'll see is that the insight and analytics that we can bring is really going to power up these uh, almost stranded assets. I mean, they're not fully stranded assets with rooftop units, but they're largely unconnected and not tied back to whoever is responsible for the proper care and feeding of them, mostly the HVAC service teams, you know, who aren't connected to the BMS either. So it's that angle for the service that we can now unlock there for the rooftop that I think is going to be a game changer. Cool. Anything to add to that, Ryan? Well, I just, yeah, I mean, one thing, you know, and and your podcast has been great at highlighting, you know, a lot of other players and other, there's been a lot of great work in the analytics field, but that's, well, there's two issues with that is you're presuming, you know, I have a machine learning background. So like you're presuming you have good data (laughs) to do good analytics, first of all, and then you're presuming, okay, I can do something with that, you know, assumed correct analytical insight. And the problem is unless you're, maybe if you're in like a big building where you have a complex, well-maintained building management system like that, that would be the case that you can go take the data out of it and it's reliable. And then you can, you know, send the signal back to change the set points or something, but to actually get this kind of closed loop where you can reliably get good data out of the natively intelligent machines, which, you know, the smart motors are from the ground up and then getting that into an analytical framework that then you can do something about and actually change the control. So that kind of bi-directional, you know, cloud native control uh, loop, I thought, that was a problem that over and over again, I saw, you know, either the pure analytics guys would have all these great data scientists, but then they're like, oh, we don't want to touch the controls. We don't want to take responsibility for that part. Or then the controls guys were, you know, just a different field. So, you know, I don't see a lot of other great examples where you get that closed loop where you can, you can really solve the problem and translate into action. And so that was a big, you know, thing that we saw coming together with, with Riptide. We could you know, really be in a position to, to solve that all the way. Cause at the end of the day, like if you do analytics and it requires a human to go out and like go change the thing every week, I mean, nobody's going to do that. It's, it's going to, it's got to be easy and automated. Totally. So I think there's an announcement coming. Maybe it already has come or maybe it'll come by the time we publish this, but is this new platform have a name and, and would you guys like to talk about what the new name is? Really? I, I think of it as a positioning around Turntine Technologies for Sustainable Operations as an umbrella position for where really Turntide is. I mean, as you've heard the story from Ryan, the motor was sort of the, the original centerpiece, but the focus is that ongoing sustainable operating environment for you know efficiency, not just of the motor, but anywhere that we can touch and add more value. So that idea of sustainability and sustainable operations, we definitely see as the place for Turntide. And 
if we think about sustainability, I think the first time I went to a conference that there was somebody with a sustainability title was probably about 15, 17 years ago. And there was a, an early wave of what sustainability and it's kind of like a, a, a C-level title and they had a sort of a lane. And now it is about, it is company-wide and it is about the viability of, of the company in every single direction. So I think what you see Ryan doing uh, a great job in all the acquisitions that continues is more of a sustainable operating theme and bringing technologies that bring sustainable operations into the reach of companies everywhere. That's really becomes a company mission. So what we are doing from an application layer is just, you know, that that wrapper for any kind of high efficiency, whether it is on the transport side, on the ag side, and making sure that it's always intelligent and always enabling um, better operations. So that is the theme that you're going to be seeing coming out from Turntide very soon. Very cool. Well, I've seen a bunch of announcements recently. You mentioned Ryan's, Ryan's been busy, it seems like. Ryan, do you want to share all these recent announcements? I've seen uh, project funding, Turntide Transport, uh, and a couple of acquisitions over in the UK. Can you, can you talk about kind of where the company is expanding beyond, beyond buildings? Uh, sure. Yeah, we've we've really you know had an opportunity to pull a lot of pieces of the vision forward. I mean, these are all things that we've kind of had on our roadmap to address things that move basically. So we have transport and built environment are kind of the two you know two halves of, of our world. And like I mentioned, my previous company was was in this space doing you know really high performance what I call long tail electrification. So there's Tesla and everybody trying to you know, scramble to catch up to Tesla doing the high volume passenger vehicle stuff, but, but literally everything that moves is going to electrify over time. And there's actually in, incredibly challenging engineering in making those high power uh, drivetrains. You know, it's not like making a software app or something. I mean, these are, you know, hard, hard tech, software driven hardware, high power. And so there's very scarce talent for this. And frankly, most of that talent has been hoovered up by the big guys to try to catch up to Tesla. And so it's left this really big void for basically everything else that moves. So whether that's like automated warehouse robots uh, or commercial vehicles or, you know, marine, like we're in Hitachi Rail, Okado as, as customers being accelerated by part of this. So, you know, we really see, you know, we're not, we're not focused on like the residential kind of consumer space. Like we're trying to help companies make their whole operation sustainable. And there's definitely you know, commercial vehicles and aspects to that, things that move where we have really unique IP, unique technology advantages and unique skill sets. There's a lot of overlap and a lot of the core technologies. I mean, this, this switch reluctance motor, the core architecture that we have is really the promise to ending the need for rare earth metals, which is not so much an issue for buildings because you're, you're not as like weight sensitive in a building, but when you're in a vehicle and you need like, you know, really light, high power density motor, the only way to get that today is with rare earth magnets or with, you know, our switch reluctance motor that still has a ways to go until it's sort of universally applicable for, for vehicles. I think that's probably a few years more development to be sort of ubiquitous okay. um, in applications. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's all about being able to achieve whatever the goal is with fewer resources and sort of substituting all the material mechanical costs with, with software complexity that kind of doesn't rust, you know, you, make it once and you can tweak it. Totally. So essentially, if I, if I like state it back to you, each industry needs obviously better motors, software to monitor whatever the, ins, the assets are. And the insights might change across the industries. You know, if you're talking about like a dairy farm compared to an office building, those are different insights, different stakeholders, different users probably. 
different um, mammals. Yeah. <laughs> different animals. Absolutely. But you guys are looking at like the layer underneath all of that, that can sort of go across all like for a corporation, whatever type of building, whatever type of asset they have being the infrastructure to make it more sustainable. Yeah, we have a lot of work to do to, to make it ubiquitous. So we've got spots that we are just focused on in the in the initial phases, of course. But yeah, it's really, you know, the way I describe it is to be the full stack for the long tail. So, you know, we're not going to go compete with Honeywell or something or Borg Warner on, you know, their their core turf. Those are gigantic companies that have to go after big markets in the initial phases to, to make it to work. But, you know, the reason we chose dairy was because it's a fairly niche market that we could really demonstrate the power of this complete digital sustainable transformation although they don't call it sustainable in dairy because there's political things there but we're, we're learning but you know efficient operations across the board it's, it's just about eliminating waste ultimately but the way you do that is sort of surprisingly with common components across what appear to be very wide range of things but at the end of the day mammals in conditioned air <laughs> you know like in the abstract like there's a lot of commonality in the problem Absolutely. Yeah, that's yes. It's it's happy cows, high yield plants, happy shoppers, right? Healthy patients, successful students, all with an underlying core of a more efficient, more efficient equipment being more managed to better outcomes. And yes, the driver was the the uniform driver on the build side is that environmental piece, but it, it is kind of fun to learn the difference about what a cow can makes, what makes a cow happy versus successful students, but it's the same thing, same stack. Absolutely. Really cool. All right. Anything else to add before we move on to our uh, fun round of two truths and a lot? Well, I, I don't know. I'm curious. I mean, you're, you're like immersed in this space. Like who, who else do you think is really interesting? We're looking to partner with people, by the way, like we're not trying to like own the space or something like that. Like we're, we're really a, trying to be a platform that helps other really amazing technologies get target faster. I mean, that's in a way like what happened with Riptide is we had sort of a platform to help bring material benefit to a bunch of customers. And we're massively accelerating the development with, with Riptide, both on a go-to-market and also on a technology development perspective. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I just think my view personally is this whole space has to change over the next 10, 20 years. I mean, it has to become modernized. It has to become automated. Like you just don't have the, you know, there's not enough uh, people going through complex control technician schools or something to, to make every building intelligent. Like you got to solve this technology in some way, but I don't know. I'm curious, like what else do you think of who you've talked to? I'm sure in your podcast by now, but who else is out there that you think is sort of aligned with this philosophy mission I don't want to make anyone mad by not mentioning them or uh, <laughs> watch all my last 200 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> I think from a like philosophical standpoint, when you have like, and you guys are hitting on these points that I'm about to make already. Um, when you have a dairy farm, there are certain problems that they need solved. Like you said, to make a happy cow. I think of that, like a whole product needs to be provided to them that, that meets their needs. Right. And like you said, a full stack for the long tail. I love that. A full stack has to be provided, but my perspective on the on the industry after talking to all these people is that there are portions of that full stack where some people have like really solved and they're really far ahead on. And so I think I put my weight behind the people that are saying, oh, X, Y, and Z has solved that piece. 
let's yeah. go partner with them. Kind of like you just said, I, I think those philosophies are the ones that I'm sort of promoting out there. I don't want to talk about anyone <laughs> specifically because uh, I'll definitely get too many emails and LinkedIn messages if I say <laughs> the wrong thing. But I, I do like the philosophy that you're, that you're, that you're talking about. So cool. Let's do it then. Ryan, you're the one that's going <laughs> to go on the hot seat for two truths and a lie. All right. So it's, I say three things and two are true. One's lie you have to guess. That's, that's yeah. 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 All right. Marty, come on. You got to step up here. Do it. Okay. Let's, okay. I'll give you three things. So I worked as a roughneck in the Northern Alberta oil patch. I went to the original Burning Man and I led a New York stock exchange company at age 27. What is a roughneck? Uh, it's like working in the oil fields and I don't know if I'm allowed to ask follow-up questions in two truths and a lie. Oh, this is tough. <laughs> I'm going to break your streak. <laughs> so your normal background when you jump on a Zoom call with you is Burning Man. Uh, I'm trying to rack my brain on when the one, that would have been. I'm going to say that one's the lie, Burning Man. The Burning Man, yeah, the original Burning Man. I was like two years old or something. So okay, I was gonna say that's long, <laughs> like long, like much longer. Years. Okay, James, uh, you're good at this. Was, yeah, was <laughs> very good at this because I was uh, fooled. You're I, fooled. You, yeah, I was gonna make was you guess first. first one. No, yeah, that's good. So cool. Well, I was gonna make you guess first, but I didn't want to tarnish my hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. <laughs> Don't take the easy yeah. This is a challenge to all the future guests out there. You, you got to bring bring the heat for me. So I'm 100 so far. Well, cool. This has been so much fun. I'm glad to have the two perspectives after the acquisition. That's kind of cool. Any any parting words before we before we hang up? I would just say I love what you're doing, and you're you're. I'm now. I have binged you since <laughs> I. That's a th I'm, I'm good at binging. So I got off of Netflix. I've, I've binge watched and yeah, really appreciate that you are, have such an open forum with these great perspectives. So I'm learning a lot. I'm learning so, a lot too. Yeah. It's super fun. Yeah, I know. It's, it's great that you've put the effort into this stuff and yeah. uh, the industry's, the industry's got to change. You know, there's, there's obviously a, a place for the big guys, but you know, it's a space that's just going to transform so much over the next decade. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of room for a lot of players to, to advance the cause. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'll just say, I'm really impressed that in, in, with your youth that you're doing this because there's many of these kind of podcasts that's kind of like, you know, the older generation looking down and going, how are we going to get, but I love that you bring a fresh perspective that you haven't, you know, aren't from the crew that's been at it 20, 30 years. So that's fantastic to see. I just had a birthday and I'm feeling very sensitive about it. And you just made me feel younger. So, okay, good. <laughs> <You are. laughs> it's good. Um, awesome. Well, thank you too again. And I'm sure we'll talk again soon. All right, friends. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nexus podcast. For more episodes like this and to get the weekly Nexus newsletter, which, by the way, readers have said is the best way to stay up to date on the future of the smart buildings industry, please subscribe at nexuslabs.online. You can find the show notes for this conversation there as well. Have a great day.